With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. It is Friday, April 19th, 2013. This is the Executive Girlfriends Group. And I would like to welcome you to the show today. We are interviewing the author of a fascinating book called Red Thread Thinking, Weaving Together Connections for Brilliant Ideas and Profitable Innovation. And the author's name is Deborah Kay, and I'm going to introduce her in a second. But first, I just want to comment that this particular show and this particular topic is so core to what we've been talking about really for the entire existence of the Executive Girlfriends Group, Uh, being able to recognize connections in your life and to leverage that for new idea generation, profitable innovation, and growth uh, is really the message that we want to create uh, for our audience. So, Deborah, welcome. Thank you very much. You didn't know you played right into our sweet spot. Yeah, <laughs> that's fascinating to hear. <laughs> well, you know, it should be everybody's sweet spot. I'm sure you think that as well. So tell me how you came up with the title Red Thread Thinking. Well, it's it's actually very interesting because um, it wasn't really me who came up with it. It was one of my partners. When I first started writing the book, it, it's, um, my partners, you know, uh, looked at me and they said, Deborah, this doesn't sound like you. This sounds very academic and not the way you <laughs> teach our kids at all. Why don't you write like you speak? And I said to them, you mean the red thread? And they said, yeah, the red thread. Because <laughs> oh. that's what I tell my kids. I always tell them, you know, my kids, well, I mean the people that I work with when I say that. I always <laughs> say, look for the red thread. Look for that underlying connection that connects the dots. And so when we went back and looked, we found that there's actually an ancient legend, um, uh, an ancient Asian legend about the red thread, and that's how the title came to be. Well, that is really remarkable because I I tell a similar story. Actually, it's a a book by Ravi Zacharias, who is is, uh, one of the great thinkers of the world, and he, he wrote a book called The Grand Weaver, and uh, without spending too much time on it, I'll, you should grab the book because the first part tells the story about how he goes to visit uh, a, a factory in the north of India that made this fabulous uh, fabric for saris. And anyway, so it's it's the whole story of how he uncovers uh, the the father who who is guiding the threads uh, and the son who's sitting at the feet moving the shuttle back and forth and. He doesn't talk specifically about the red thread, but the brilliant threads that come through. But you also have to deal with the black and the gray and the brown and those that aren't so interesting so that the red thread can stand out. (laughs) Oh, that's very, very interesting. And that's exactly it. I mean, in what I do, we deal with so much information. So you really have to find the, the underlying connective tissue, and that's what the red threads are all about. Right, right. Well, I want to start really with hearing a little bit about your background. We'll jump into the book uh, with both feet in a couple of minutes, but why don't you tell us about yourself, Deborah? Oh, it's always so difficult (laughs) to talk about oneself. Um, I've I've had a very fortunate life um, in that um, uh, most of my career was in Europe, um, and I 
I had my own company in Spain, uh, which was a marketing and innovation company, and we were very, I had a fabulous team, and we were very fortunate that uh, we created some of the world's greatest products, and we won 100 international awards, and eight of them were in Cannes, and um, we were bought by Omnicom, and then I went to become uh CEO of a very large advertising agency in Italy, which is um, a global agency called TBWA, and I was CEO of um, the Italian um, part of that. And then um, I started my own skincare brand in the United States, which mm. was very, very successful, and then sold that. And then I started an innovation and uh, culture consultancy company here in the United States, which is called Lucule. Hmm. Wow. So tell me, uh, you know, again, you you were prompted by by colleagues and friends who said, you know, you really ought to put all of these thoughts uh, into a book. Um, Had you ever considered writing before? No, (laughs) absolutely not. And and, Um, no, the the million-dollar question is, would you do it again? (laughs) um, You know, I really don't know. It was, I am, uh, it, it it is a lonely process. Um, and I am not. I'm a person who who thrives off of um, working with people. People have asked me uh, a lot of times, "What do I think is my greatest achievement?" And when they're asking me that, they're asking me to say, "What is the greatest product I ever came out with?" And I, you know, I've come out with some billion-dollar brands. And my answer to that is, it's never a product. My greatest achievement is that. Some of the people that have worked for me, when they leave me, they go off and make three times more money. Some of the people who have worked for me are now top executives in businesses all over the world. That's my greatest achievement. And and so writing a book for me was it was a very lonely process. And um, right. so I'm not sure if I'm prepared to do it again. Right. Yeah. It's it's uh, daunting. I took on my first book uh, and and had a publisher who came to me and asked me to write the book. So I was fortunate in that I didn't have to go and shop it around. Um, but you know, here I thought I was going to make a boatload of money, and you know, <laughs> ended luck. up spending nine months of my life because you know I, I couldn't afford a research assistant, and it was a very research heavy uh, publication. But, you know, I'll tell you, when I was done with that book and I read it cover to cover, I couldn't believe that I had been the one to write it. And so oh, it did that's a marvelous. It did marvelous things for me. And, you know, I was a consultant at the time, and I think I was charging, you know, probably $1,000 a day before I wrote the book. And after I wrote the book, I thought, wow, I know a lot. And so I, you know, doubled and tripled uh, my my consulting rates, you know, in in very short order, and then you know wrote four additional books, and uh, so it it did. I made money, but it wasn't where I thought it would. <laughs> well, well, that's great. I mean, one of the reasons. I mean, everybody um, asked me to write a book, but the, one of the reasons, of course, there are always selfish motives behind it. Was I was very well known in Europe, and when I came back to the United States, everyone said, you need to be known in the United States to grow your business, and you need a platform. So that was obviously one of the reasons I wrote the book as well. Well, let's dive right into it then. So there there are really uh, just, a, a I believe, five threads that you outline, and I'm sure that there are others that, that you talk about as as you're going through this. But talk to us about innovation and and why it's not just having a good idea because that's really how you start the book 
Right, and, and, you know, you do a lot of learning when you write the book, and what I've learned is I never would have put innovation in the title, which is an interesting thing, um, <sighs> because the book isn't really about innovation in a lot of ways. Um, uh-huh. I am an innovation professional, but what I think the book is really about is how to have an idea, where to look for ideas. I think we all go through the problem of, when you sit down and you have to come up with ideas, whether it's you know how you teach someone to 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 think differently in your office, or whether how you come up with a new strategy, you you kind of sit down and you say, oh my goodness, where am I going to come up with that idea? And no one has the tools to teach you how to have an insight. And I think that's what this book is all about. And so the idea is that. Anyone can really have inventive ideas any day uh, of the week, no matter what age you are or where you come from. And this book gives you the tools to do that. And that's what Red Thread Thinking is all about. Well, I think it's interesting that that you you start with innovation, you know, being the first red thread. And the subtitle of that uh, chapter is It's All in Your Head. And you mentioned something about how anyone can have an idea. And I think what can be daunting to folks is that they may have an idea. And you've heard, uh, you know, dozens of people say, oh, I wish I had thought of that. Or they'll say, you know, I thought of that and I never did anything with it. And and that can be that one thing that holds them back. So talk to us uh, about It's All in Your Head and, and how you need this significant change of mind to actually tap into that innovation. And I love the second uh, subchapter here, which is stop brainstorming and take a shower. <laughs> Well, I'm going to talk to two points about that, and particularly since this is called the Executive Girlfriends Group, women in particular hold ourselves back. Um, I work with a group called Count Me In, um, which is a a group to help women create million-dollar businesses. And what we find is that the biggest holdback to women growing our businesses is that we second-guess ourselves all the time, and we're really afraid um, to 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 when we have a new idea to move with it, um, and so what the first chapter in the book is all about is freeing up our minds and being much more positive. So the first chapter in Red Thread Thinking is about how you become a better observer of life and how you allow yourself to become a freer thinker. So there, there's something that we do as we get older, which is called I love this expression, and it's hard to even say three times fast: functional fixedness. Which is basically, and we can all appreciate this, if you have a burr that falls on your sweater, what we all tend to do is pull that burr off and say, (laughs) a burr, this is disgusting, and throw it on the ground. But if we could all pull that burr off and say, oh, a burr. Why did this stick to my sweater? Look at this curious little thing. Oh, it has these little things. We could invent the next Velcro. And so that's what this book, the first chapter, does. It makes you ask questions in a different way. It opens up your mind. And what we've learned, just like athletes, you know, we teach them to visualize the goal line and they're more apt to win, this teaches you to open up your mind and think you're smarter and if you think you're smarter, you'll be smarter. And that's what the first chapter is all about. Oh, I love that. So tell me about the stop brainstorming and take a shower. I love that one. Well, you know, there's been more research in the last 15 years about our brains than in the last 500 years. And what we found is that brainstorming doesn't work. And why doesn't it work? Think about yourself. When do you get your best ideas? 
That would be in the shower <laughs> anytime right. when it's quiet and there aren't people pulling at me. Exactly. So if you're in a big brainstorming session and somebody says, give me an idea on demand, it's not going to work. First of all, you're amongst your peers. You're going to be afraid to say the idea. Second of all, you're so focused on having to come up with an idea. Nobody's brain works that way, right? And what happens is we come up with our best ideas when our brain is at rest and we're not so focused on the situation. So actually what we've learned is brainstorming meetings don't work. Um, you don't come up with new original ideas because our mind is not, is not at rest when all these little connections and all these little synapses can happen. So really, if you want to come up with great ideas, go clean the house, go <laughs> take a walk, go take a shower. Then, once you have the initial idea, then you need a lot of people's input, absolutely, to improve right. the idea, to be a devil's advocate, but not for the initial idea. Brainstorming exactly. doesn't work. Exactly. Exactly. And in fact, I, I want to come back to that because, uh, you know, part part of what you, you talk about in this book is, you know, tapping into those connections and leveraging those connections. And I was just telling one of my colleagues yesterday that, you know, every place where you are in what you're doing, you need to go off and have some quiet time to figure out what all of the connections are that people and events of the past and even previous roles that you've had, if it was all, you know, for such a time as this, for where you are today, what would you pull from each of those things? And, you know, some people it's really natural. I'm I'm a dot connector big time. I mean, that that if I had to describe myself, that's the one term I would use. Wow, um, that's great. It, yeah, well, it's a gift. I mean, it's it's nothing that I've nurtured. It, it, it just was something that was given to me. You can't possibly go to the store and buy it. But uh, but it is something that I believe that you can take that quiet time and and draw those connections and uh, you know likewise sometimes you have to have that burr I thought you were going a different place with the burr but I, I now get the Velcro thing but I thought you were talking about how do you learn from from the bad things that occur in your life so that you can recognize the good um, and one of the talks I give when I do public speaking is about black holes and diamonds. And that when you look at a diamond mine, it's this enormous black hole. I mean, it is miles and miles and miles wide, uh, unlike other kinds of uh, mining for, for precious metals and stones. And, you know, if you go back through your life, it's the same kind of thing. You see those those things that lead you to the to finding the diamond in your life. So I, I can see how the red thread would be that same kind of thing. So let's go uh, to the next red thread, which is everything old is new. And that, actually, that kind of speaks to what I just said. No, but also to follow up what you're saying, you've just spoken about one of the great innovator secrets of all time, which is you learn from your mistakes. I mean, yes. Thomas Edison said that, you know, he, he had to create, you know, 90,000 mistakes to get one right. success. So you, you, that wasn't the exact quote, but it was something like that. Right, um, you absolutely learn from your mistakes that, you know, no one gets it right the first time. And that is what, you know, and persistence and passion means, that you, you look at it and you learn from your mistakes. That's the, great, that's the greatest thing you can do, and that's part of why you're such a good connector. And I well, do think connecting can, is something that can be learned, by the way. Well, it can, but, but that intuitive ability to see see the connection of completely inobvious uh, things in your life. And sometimes it's a bit frustrating because I actually see them before I know what to do with them. <laughs> so I have to tuck them away sometimes. I, I'm uh, I'm the sticky note queen, which is, I guess, the other big uh, you know mistake in life of, of glue that wouldn't hold. 
And, uh, you know, I will take sticky notes and just write the names of people on them and put them on a wall as placeholders because I know they're going to be connected with something else in my life soon. <laughs> That's fabulous. You you are an innovator at heart. Uh, well, yes, absolutely. So, so let's talk about the first uh, chapter under uh, Everything Old is New, which is get clued in on the real story. Tell us about that. Well, the, the most important thing of Everything Old is New is that there really isn't any such thing as an original idea. Most original ideas aren't completely original. Every innovation, every new idea really sits on the shoulders of another idea that came before it. So there's plenty of information, products, materials, and technology that can be looked at in a fresh way and modified and somehow used again. I mean, every mother, you know, who has a little issue at home, you know, probably jerry-rigs something in some way to make it work. She's an innovator. She just doesn't know it. And so that's what really we do every every day of our lives. So the difference is that you realize, the book helps you realize that that's what you're doing, and how do you take that and turn that into something very innovative. Um, There are hundreds of women out there who've been able to turn those kinds of ideas into innovative products. I'm I'm forgetting the name, but the woman who who created that little knapsack that you carry your your child in front of you with, you know, she she did that out of a need to carry her child in front of her. And she created, you know, a a multi-million dollar brand as a result of it. So we do that every day in our lives, and that's what this everything old is new is all about. So what the book is giving you are saying you have the tools. You don't have to be somebody special to really understand that. Just work from what you know. Right, right. And and so then you lead into stop crying over spilled milk because the glass is, in fact, still half full. Exactly. So in terms of companies, basically, um, and if you have a company, there are probably a lot of underused assets that you have that can be used in a new way. Um, one of the stories that I love to tell is there's, there was a dairy company in New Zealand called the Fonterra Dairy. And as a, as a waste product from the dairy products they were creating, and the dairy business was down all over the world, they had this whey protein, which was a waste product. And they were throwing it away, um, but their dairy business was down. And an innovation company, um, unfortunately not ours because it was a great idea, had the idea that this whey protein, because it was whey is a protein, right. uh, and it was a dissolvable protein, why not sell it to these protein drink companies to up the protein in, in these protein drinks, in these energy drinks? Right. They branded it clear protein, and in the first year, that waste product sold out across the, uh, across, the, uh, across the world. So, again, look at your assets, look at what you have, and you might turn it into it. There are some gentlemen, um, uh, they call it trash speakers. They take old Coke cans that people have thrown away, and they turn them into speakers. And they've, in their first year, they sold $100,000 worth of speakers. That's amazing. I'll tell you another one, although it will make you never want to buy the product ever again. Uh, I I used to work with a guy who was uh, a chemical engineer, and he worked for a chemical plant, and they had all this chemical sludge that was, you know, uh, again, being wasted out of the factory. And and so they put a bunch of their engineers uh, on, on the task, and they made it into a vitamin C equivalent that is now the core ingredient in Jolly Rancher candy. So there you have it. 
if you have Incredible. Charles Ancher candy at home. <laughs> oh, wait, no, I'm You're sure right. that they they've taken out everything that's unsafe, but just the mm-hmm. concept that it's made out of industrial sludge, I can't right. get past it. <laughs> it's very hard to get past. But I like to say to 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 you know anyone just. Think about what bugs. If you want to be, a, if you want to start a home business, or if you have a current business, you know, and you want it to be more ecologically sound, or, or you know, more env- environmentally sound, and you're passionate about that, think about what bugs you. Just right. think about what bugs you, and think about how you might solve that problem. That's chances are what bugs you bugs a whole lot of other people, and Absolutely. that's an innovation waiting to happen. Right. Well, our executive producer, Patty, uh, has been constantly on me because my daughter, who just turned 15 this week, whenever she wears a T-shirt, she takes a rubber band and ties it in the back to tighten the T-shirt against her body. Now, she's mm-hmm. a very modest girl, so I you know, I don't get on her about it. But every time Patty sees that, she says, we could make a, a device that would sell millions on, on TV. And it's like, well, you know, I'm just not in the product innovation business, but somebody is, so... Well, see, that's a great idea. It is. You could probably create an adorable little product, and that's a great idea. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Well, let's move on uh, to Red Thread 3, which is people, the strangest animals in the zoo. Well, this is very interesting because um, every innovator or every inventor of a new idea thinks, oh, my goodness, I have a new idea. I'm going to change the world. Um, and we absolutely think that's the wrong thinking because uh-huh. it is really difficult to change people's habits. Um, just think of the billions of dollars that were poured into no smoking campaigns and people didn't stop smoking. The, we, the real reason that people finally slowed down on their smoking was because access was cut off. You couldn't smoke in restaurants anymore you couldn't smoke in offices the no smoking marketing campaigns actually didn't work um so if you think because you've got this great idea and you're you know and you're going to you know you need billions in marketing dollars to sell it then you don't have a great idea so what we tell people is you have to think of culture you have to think of people's habits and what's really there and make your idea fit into those habits don't think your great idea is going to change people's habits because you don't have enough money to do that, no right. matter how rich you are. So what we say is look at the underlying culture. Um, a great example of that is Apple. Um, Apple could have created a beautiful MP3 player because they're great at design, but they understood that people didn't want just a prettier MP3 player with more features. What people wanted was to get to music faster and easier. So they created iTunes. They created a one-stop, one way of getting your music much easier than any other MP3 player had done. And by doing that, Apple now owns 90% of the delivery of all music. That's amazing. Uh, I've been an Apple Apple aficionado for a very, very long time. In fact, I tell the story um, a, a guy that I was dating back in, uh, I believe it was 1983, um, we were in California for Thanksgiving staying with his brother, and his brother was one of the lead designers for Apple. And I had to sign a non-disclosure to sleep in the guest room because the Apple Lisa 
which was the precursor to the Macintosh, was sitting on the floor. So uh, <laughs> anyway, I was I was early an early exposed uh, individual to the Apple culture, and then became uh, like I, I worked for American Airlines Sabre for many years, and I was the very first Macintosh there. Uh, so uh, I have a great appreciation for their marketing sense and and the whole issue of simplicity, which I think is, is the thing that you were trying to get at there, is that we, we sometimes overthink. And your next chapter is actually called We Think, Therefore We Innovate. And I, I would uh, introduce that we overthink the solution. We try to overcomplicate. And I think that's where a lot of innovation is lost. Right. Um, again, you know, we are our own worst enemies because when we come up with these great ideas, we think that everybody else is going to be impressed with them as we are, and we right. forget that we are operating in a very complex world. So people don't have the time to notice right. all the difficult things that, you know, all the things, all the bells and whistles that we're putting in. They want to keep it as simple as possible and get to the story as fast as possible. So we really believe in simplicity. And don't get me wrong, creating simplicity is very, very, very difficult. Because oh, you have totally. to find your most important characteristic and make it sing, and that's not easy. It's very hard. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm right with you there. I've I've spent the bulk of my career as a strategic planner, and you know it is way easier to write a hundred-page business plan than to write a two-page executive summary. Yes. <laughs> you, know, you you certainly got that. Exactly, exactly. I want to touch on one more uh, of the subchapters uh, under the strangest animals in the zoo, and that's where you talk about emotional memory and the culture tattoo. Tell me about mm -hmm. that. I'm intrigued. Well, again, it's, it's more about really understanding the underlying culture. Um, you know, we do things out of habit that we don't even realize. So um, the way, for example, um, People, um, there are underlying cultural values that are very, very strong, and, and then you have to relate that back to products. So um, people think today, so, so one of the underlying cultural values that we hold very dear as Americans, for example, is this idea of that we can invent and reinvent ourselves. That's very, very important to us. That's the reason that social media has taken hold so quickly, because mm -hmm. it, it does allow us to do that. And so now people are saying that Facebook, they say, oh, teens are leaving Facebook because they're bored with it. It's not that they're bored with it. It's that the world is changing very fast. And so right. now what Facebook is, um, Facebook now is a lasting value concept. So what teens see is, okay, when I go on Facebook, it lasts there. So I have to kind of curate it because my personality lasts there. But now there's this new thing, for example, called Snapchat. Snapchat. Hey, right? Can you tell which I've got is, a 15-year-old? <laughs> exactly, which is I can show my emotion, which is only a three-second emotion, which right. is, uh, so I can reinvent myself every three seconds. So that, again, goes to this lasting underlying value. So people think that that's actually a fad, but it's actually not because it's playing into this deep underlying value. So it's not that they're leaving Facebook. Right. It's just that Snapchat is playing to this underlying value that's very, very strong. And, so and what an innovation that was to not have to store all that stuff. 
stuff. So not only did they cater to the cultural tattoo, but they also managed to put together an amazing business model where you don't store anything. Exactly. <laughs> so it, it's very, very clever. And, you know, um, Facebook, they paid a billion dollars for Instagram, and that right. was clever. They haven't quite figured out, I don't think, their financial model exactly why they bought it, right. um, but, but they understood in their gut that there was a reason to do it. Exactly, exactly. So let's move on to red thread number four, which is what you see is what you get. Now, we, we've heard people say that uh, for eons, so tell me what it means to you. Well, um, there's a lot of parts to that. The first thing is we've heard that for eons, but the question I would have to you is do people really practice it? Um, And um, I'm not sure they do. So let's say you have a new product, uh, a new ingredient in a cereal box. But when you look at the cereals on the shelf, they all still look like the same cereals, don't they? Mm -hmm. So if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, why are we still packaging it in a chicken box? Right. Um, So we're not following through on that. We're not giving consumers the opportunities to really see the differences. Um, we're still being very staid and, and conservative in, in, our, in our ways of thinking. Um, and, and we're still using words to communicate everything at the shelf when you only have three seconds to communicate at the shelf. Right. You know, what I'd love to use as a model is the Olympics. Right? People from all over the world go to the Olympics, and we have managed to communicate everything from every single sport event to food to bathrooms to directions in icons. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I, so I'm, I wholeheartedly, and this is very forward thinking, encourage people to begin to think more in pictures. Right. And and you end this section of the book talking, uh, well, let me just first say that Chapter 9 is uh, Simple is Smarter, which is really the Apple story that we were just talking about. And then you bringing up the Olympics is this ability to communicate globally with a picture. Um, you also talked about packaging, which the next uh, chapter is about good things that come in great packages. But the last one is Draw Me a Story. And storytelling is so so powerful. Um, I'm from the travel industry. Uh, that's where I've spent the bulk of my career. And uh, recently I had uh, a new client come to me, and they had a product that uses video for storytelling. And, you know, you would say, duh, well, you know, that's what it's all about. And I really thought video was way more pervasive in the travel industry than it is. And, and in fact, I've been stunned to find out how little it is used, but it is such a powerful storytelling vehicle. And in telling a story, you actually can convert business. And and the one um, example of that that completely surprised me was Zappos. And I don't mm-hmm. know if you shop on Zappos. I, I don't happen to, but uh, my, my client wrote a blog about this, that Zappos actually went out and did a bunch of videos of shoes. And you're like, videos of shoes? What in the world would you do? But it increased their conversion by some astronomical double-digit number. (laughs) So uh, talk to me a little bit more about drawing a story, because that one fascinates me. Well, you know, pictures are emotional. uh, I'll give you two examples. Um, The first example is there's a huge difference between I heart New York and saying I love New York. 
You know, mm-hmm. if you see a heart, it just has all these emotional meanings. It has all this history behind it. If you see the word love, it's so hackneyed. You know, we're so used to it, it doesn't really right. have any meaning behind it. But if you, you know, what I love to do when when I'm in um, when I'm in a, in um, some sort of um, uh, big meeting and everybody has to get up and talk about themselves and introduce themselves, right? Okay. What I like to do is I like to instead of introducing myself in the normal way, saying I'm Deborah. Okay, but here's my background. What I do is I use icons to draw my background. I don't oh, instead of words. And I get up and, and I just draw the pictures and then, you know, I, I point to the pictures to describe myself. And what I find is people then are so much more friendly to me because they feel like they know me in a completely new way because those pictures draw emotional meaning. Um, and also those pictures communicate to everyone in a much broader way. And so I always suggest to people when you're in a room and introducing people, it does two things. It draws people out because it forces them to think in pictures about themselves, which makes them be more highly creative and stimulates the meeting in a whole new way. But it also makes the people feel more emotionally drawn to that person. Um, I just think pictures are just a warmer way to go. Huh, I may have to redo my bio on my website. <laughs> I love that. Well, let's move on to the last one in, in the five minutes that we have left. Um, the last red thread, number five, is called the force of passion. And here you talk about emotion and reason. Yes, um, and that's because passion is both. Um, in leadership, Passion um, motivates one to persevere, um, and and uh, per, uh, so uh, passion is the emotion, and and really persistence uh, beyond reason. Uh, no, but. Per, um, Persistence is also the part of the reason where you, you, you have to learn to pivot and shift. So in, in leadership, passion really motivates one to be persistent. But in both business and innovation, they're both very iterative processes with lots of trial and error. Um, you never get it right um, the first time. So passion is the thing that helps you move through the mistakes to continue to believe and to push through when things aren't working and need to be revised. Um, uh, truly passionate entrepreneurs embrace the negatives about an idea. That's what we were talking before. Um, and then the reason is really the part where you see, have to see the negatives. You have to fess up, and you have to see the negatives, and you have to see them as pathways to workable solutions and alternative op- approaches. That's where you have to allow the reason to kick in. Um, you know, and, and another thing is the passion really fuels the enthusiasm, and, and that is critical if you're an entrepreneur. Um, it's also critical if you're a leader. If you're a leader, it's critical that people believe in you to, in order to lead them. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know, 50%, if you're looking to raise money, um, 50% is, yes, they believe in your business, they believe in your business plan and your financial model. But the other 50%, if you're looking to raise money, is they believe in you. Right. Um, so that passion has to come through when you're looking for funding. So, you know, this red thread to me is a very critical red thread. 
Well, and it's one that's near and dear to my heart because I'm constantly raising money for for both my clients and for projects that I've got uh, underway. And I and I know, you know, it's interesting because I frequently will work with investment bankers, and so I write this incredibly emotional and and visual. Uh, plan document, and I, I don't even call it a business plan anymore because, of course, the first thing they want to do is to turn a, turn it around and turn it into this boring, you know, uh, death by text and death by numbers uh, document. And I, I think you do need to tap into that uh, emotion, and and the, the emotion actually presents the reason. And I think that really is the bottom line of what you just said. So the epilogue for this book, I, I find this one curious as well, and so I would love to hear your take on this. The epilogue is where innovators can take capitalism. Well, I just believe today that if you're starting a new business, there's an opportunity. Um, there's an opportunity to do something for society. Um, I, I think that um, I, I, I am a capitalist. I firmly believe that it's capitalism that can help the world. It's capitalism that can lift up the world. Um, you know, I believe that the way out of poverty is to have people working, um, because I think by people working, they create um, their own sense of self-confidence um, and, and things like that. So if you're starting a business today, um, everybody has something that they are passionate about in terms of how they want to help the world. So figure out a way, whether it's, it's, whether it's something about the environment, whether it's something about helping indigenous people um, to be able to find a way of working. Find what that thing is and find how your business can help in that way. And I, I don't mean it in just in giving charity because I don't, you know, charity, I think, of course, we should all give to charities, but there may be a way that you can actually help. For example, if... Um, you need your product dyed. Uh, if it's a fabric, maybe you can create a way of having it dyed in communities in Latin America. They're fabulous right. dyers. Um, and maybe you can have it dyed there um, and therefore give people work who don't have work. Um, okay. If you want to help the environment and you, you have, um, can, and you create your product in cans, you can reduce the amount of metal. Um, one of my clients actually creates um, pet food, and we found that by reducing the amount of metal just by 5% um, in the top of the can, we were able to reduce their footprint, their, um, um, their footprint an enormous amount in terms of um, the environment. So there are little things that you can look at, especially if you're creating a new business, that you can do things that will really um, change the world, and, and I really believe in that. Well, changing the world is is one of my passions, and uh, uh, I am just so glad that you took this time today to share red thread thinking with us. I, you know, so much of it resonates with me, and we could probably talk for for much much longer. But we are nearing the end here, and and again, the the subtitle of this book is weaving together connections for brilliant ideas and profitable innovation. Our guest has been Deborah Kay. And, Deborah, thank you so much for uh, devoting some of your Friday to us. Can you tell folks how they can learn more about you? And, uh, of course, for our members, we have the Executive Girlfriends Group bookstore, so they can purchase it there. And, of course, it's available on Amazon and, and through uh, through any of the other major bookstore chains. So how can um, they get in touch with you, Deborah? Um, through my web, the website, which is redthreadthinking.com. Great. Great. Well, thank you again, and uh, again, um, 
just giving us your time is uh, such a great gift to each of us and sharing the high points of the book. There is so much practical information in this book, so I hope our listeners will go out and uh, purchase it right away. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. All right, Deborah. thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.